Thank you, Megan, for the great reading of God's Word this morning, and uh, Jeff for uh, introducing and making me feel welcome. Um, over the years, I've had uh, such a good uh, connection with so many uh, people at Sojourn. It's a delight to be here again uh, today. As we enter into the phase of studying God's Word together, um, let's uh, start our time with prayer. Father, as we come into your presence this morning and have come into your presence and raised our voices in praise and we've uh, prayed, we've heard your promises, and even even enjoying this great venue, um, this welcoming venue, uh, Father, I was uh, struck by even the decorations here remind me of the, the stars in the night sky. And, oh, sovereign God, as you made a promise to Abraham, as you led him out in the night sky, and you, you said, look up and count the stars. If, if you're able to count the stars, And Father, you said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Father, I, I don't know if it's right, but um, you, you had to know that there are trillions of stars. There, there are stars that in the night sky that that Abraham could not see, but you, you said count the stars if you're able. You, you say in your word that you know the name of each star. And there are trillions of stars. And you made a promise that could have been interpreted very small but you know the stars. You know the names of the stars. You bring out the stars each night. And you promised Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Father, we live in a world where the winds of rejection of your ways seem to blow very strong. And yet you promised Abraham trillions of offspring. And I pray as we look at your word uh, together that you would give us as your people a little idea of your power and your promise and your vision. I pray that when we finish studying this part of your word today, that we would leave here and that we would never be the same. That we would walk down the road and, and, and wonder, is, is this 
person I'm about to meet, one of the trillions of people that you've determined to save. Father, help us understand more of your word today. And we come and we make this prayer not in any way claiming inherent superiority over anyone. Um, If you dealt with us as our sins deserved, we would all be rejected. But you're a God of grace and you've shown grace to us. And we ask that as we worship you through studying your word, that you would bless us as your people. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's very good to be with you uh, this year. What, what a, a great uh, time, one more year. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but we're one year closer to our entire transformation. Uh, we're one year closer to uh, that moment when in God's providence we see Jesus in his glory and we are, uh, the bodies of our lowly mortality are transformed to be just like him, untemptable by evil, totally in love with God, loving our neighbors exactly as we love ourselves. We are one year closer to walking in a glorious city, the restored Garden of Eden, where people love God and walk on gold, and how different that is from a world where people love gold and walk on people. We are one year closer to the fulfillment of all the things that God's promised. And it isn't just a a promise out there for then and there, but we are living in a, a year where the glory of that city will begin to break out in our city and in our lives. God's promises are great. And this is a, a, great, a great time to celebrate um, this new year that God has given us. As, as we come and think about that as God's people, how should we think about God's salvation of the coming world? Will it be small or will it be great? Is our culture too far gone for God to act? Or is our culture like initial creation, dead, dark, without form and void, apparently under the judgment of God. Or is there a God who says, let there be light? Is there a God who can come to that uh, primordial chaos 
and who can bring order. How should we think about the salvation of the coming world? Will it be small or will it be great? And how should we think about God's interaction with lost people that we know? And I, I mean people we know like parents or children who aren't walking with the Lord or siblings or brothers or sisters or even a spouse? How should we think about God's work in this coming year? And as we look at God's Word together and, and think about the promise in Eden and then uh, the eschatological consummation in restored Eden of New Jerusalem, how are we to think about that journey? How, do we, how are we to think of ourselves in that journey? That's what I want us to think about today from Ezekiel 37. And as we look at Ezekiel 37, before we do, I just want to point out a connection in the meta-narrative of the Bible. A lot of people, uh, when the new year starts, will start reading through the Bible, and, and sometimes it's it's kind of helpful to get a, a strategy for understanding that as we read through. And I want to do that before we look at Ezekiel 37. I want us to think about this, that the key to all the scriptures, the key to all the scriptures is the realization that the scriptures are the story of two men. There's the dirt man, Adam, who was created to be the image of God, to rule and reign, to, to live out a godlike life and, and to turn the Garden of Eden into the city of God. And that dirt man, Adam, and, and, and his bride, Eve, were created to, to be the emperor and empress of the universe and to rule and reign so that people could look at their lives and understand a little bit of what God was like. That's what they were created to be. The story of the Bible is the story of two men. The, the dirt man, Adam, was created to rule and reign, but he failed. And so there's a God-man who's from heaven. A God-man with a new Eve, a bride. And that couple never fails at anything. One man comes naked to a tree and in a momentary act of disobedience, he spiritually murders the entire human race. And he did it because his wife wanted to be God. 
to fix it, God became man. God lived under, this God-man lived under his, his own law, never sinning once in thought, word, or deed. And I, I don't know if you've thought about this in the story, but the God-man comes to a tree. And after a lifetime of full obedience to the triune God, this God-man is stripped naked. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but they rip up his outer clothes and gamble for his inner clothes. And so just like the, the dirt man Adam came naked to a tree and spiritually murdered, the God-man came naked to a tree and unmurdered everyone who would ever come to him by faith. I don't know if you've thought about this in this story, but the, the first Adam's wife talked him into disobeying God. And now the God-man is talking his bride into obeying God. I don't know if you've thought about this, and it's so great that we're uh, celebrating communion today, but the, the first man sinned by eating and and brought that death, and God in his meta-narrative artistry in fixing what we did created a way for us spiritually and by faith to feed on him, to nourish us and enable us to begin to walk in his ways. The first command was to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth with little God lovers and to rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and to rule over all the things that creep on the ground. The dirt man failed. The God-man never failed at anything. The story of the Bible is God creating a new Eve who, with her husband, the new Adam, will love God so much that they're untemptable by evil. That's what the story of Scripture is about. The story of the Scripture is moving that, that beautiful artistry of getting us to the place where we can live in that heavenly city with God and where in this life now, that heavenly city begins to break out in our lives with the people that we know. When we look at Ezekiel 36, that's the vision of all of it. In February 2021, I had the privilege of looking at Ezekiel 36 with you all and the mighty promises of God contained in his new covenant, which guarantees our total transformation by God. In Ezekiel 36, God is promising to make us the kind of people who can live in that heavenly city where 
we will walk in his ways, where we will do what he wants done, where we, we have the kind of character that he wants us to have. Ezekiel 36 and the New Covenant is God's promise that he's going to implement that in our lives. He's going to make us fit to live in the restored Garden of Eden. 20 unconditional promises. If you haven't read that passage, perhaps later today, go through and mark every time God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. 20 times he says that, and notice there's not an if clause in there anywhere. 20 unconditional promises spelling out what the new covenant means. And remember, when Jesus died, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. My blood has purchased these 20 promises for God to give to you. That's what Ezekiel 36 is about. It's interesting, uh, I think uh, it was either Nick or uh, Jeff told me that uh, you're about to enter a, a series on the Lord's Prayer. And um, I, I don't know if you know this, but Ezekiel 36, 23 is actually the first um, petition in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. God promises in Ezekiel 36, 23, I will hallow my name. I will cause my name to be hallowed. In fact, in Hebrew, it says, I'll cause my name to be mega hallowed. The Lord's Prayer is reminding us that uh, the fulfillment of the new covenant are those 20 promises. We have a right as believers to come and to say, this is what you've promised, Lord, and I know that you will do it. So what we want to look at today, God is so effective in his communication that often he will teach something and then he'll give us a picture of what he's talking about. And that's what he's done in Ezekiel 37. Let's look at that passage together, verse by verse. Verse 1, Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he rested me in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Now, we have God's promises in Ezekiel 36, in his outline of the new covenant, and God wanted Ezekiel, and God wants us to understand better what those promises mean. Ezekiel 37 is God's sermon illustration of Ezekiel 36. God takes Ezekiel out to a valley. Apparently it was the site of a, a massive battle. And it was full of soldiers... And the soldiers there are the soldiers who had lost that battle. There had been a battle. This was the side that lost. These soldiers had fought, and they had died. And not only that, if we look at a whole Bible biblical theology, these losing soldiers were the ones 
who had received a particular curse from God. You might want to jot down Deuteronomy 28, 26, but being left unburied in the field is part of the covenant curse. If you disobey God, that's what one of the horrifically bad things that will happen. And being left unburied is mentioned in 1 Samuel 17, 46, Jeremiah 7, 16, 19, 34, when God takes Ezekiel to this battle, Ezekiel, as a, a, a Jewish person, would understand the, these are the people who've rebelled against God. God wants Ezekiel to see this valley is full of people who had fought against God's rule, people who had said, just like the people in Jesus' parable, we don't want this man to rule over us, but not saying that to a person, saying that to God. We don't want God's rule. We want to do it our own way. What does God want Ezekiel to think? Now, here's where it becomes very interesting. Remember that God calls Ezekiel the son of man. Did you pick that up in the reading? And do you know that in the Hebrew text, the word man there is the word Adam? Did Adam rebel against God? Did Adam say, I want to follow my own wisdom, not God's? Do you find that interesting? Uh, God's got his prophet there, and he's reminding him, hey, you're, you're one of Adam's sons, right? And, and like your family rebelled against God, right? These people rebelled against God. So, son of Adam, can these bones live? That's a very interesting question. If these are the people who fought against God's rule, and, hey, I've fought against God's rule, and God says, can these bones live? Do you wonder if Ezekiel started wondering, well, if I'm a son of Adam and I'm alive and the people who fought against God die and why shouldn't I be there instead of here? That's a very interesting thing. Ezekiel says, He led me all around them, and behold, there were very many of them on the face of the valley, and they were very dry. 
these people were dead. And not only were they dead, they were as dead as they possibly could be. And God asked a question. He says, son of Adam, can these bones live? That's an interesting question. If, you, if you're asking me as a person, it's not been part of my experience to see people who are in that state who come back to life. I, sometimes at Bryan College, uh, wanted to come up with a way for students to use their creative uh, uh, juices to uh, create a picture of this, but... Uh, you know, you, maybe you get Ezekiel there and he's starting to do CPR, you know, on the... Can these bones live? And it, Ezekiel gives the one answer that's right. And he says, you know. You know whether they li can live. If, you, if you're asking me as a person like they're as dead as dead can be, but I'm not God, you're God. If you want people to li live, they'll live. I said, oh Lord God, you know. Well, just a point of application here are there people that you know who are spiritually dead? Who have just looked at the things of God and said, hey, look, that's not for me. This God thing means you have to repent of your sins. I don't want to repent of my sins. I, I want to follow my way. I want to follow my wisdom. I want to walk in the path I want to walk in. And this God thing doesn't pay off. I want to live for the here and now. Do you know people like that? Well, God is going to ask you a question today. Can these bones live? Is the same God who raised this army for Ezekiel the same God who interacts with you and the people you know today? Is he the same God? And if he's the same God, does he have the power to raise people from being spiritually dead? Because I look at people sometimes and say, God, like they have just, they've just turned their back on you. And and, and God, they, they look at me and they look at my failures and, and, and my life isn't, isn't making the, the kind of argument for the things of God that, that my life should. And, and, and they've turned away and, and they're spiritually dead. Does that in any way limit the power of God? 
son of Adam, can these bones live? And he said to me, prophesy over these bones. And you will say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. To these bones. I am bringing spirit into you. Interesting word. Hebrew word, ruach. The ruach of God was that original creation when God came to this chaotic, disordered world and before he ever said, let there be light, the thing he did before that is his ruach, his spirit, this, this wind spirit of God came to this chaotic thing and it says it was hovering over the waters. And the interesting thing in Hebrew, it says it was mega hovering over the waters. And, and people don't know what to do with that. Some of the ancient rabbis uh, envisioned the spirit attacking the chaotic waters. It's interesting that that word hovered over and intensely hovered is the same word in Deuteronomy of a, a, a mother chicken hovering over her young and protecting them. And so it, is it attacking the water or is it it's somehow loving this chaotic Thing, and we don't know, but we know that the Ruach is also the thing that comes to the Red Sea. And when Israel is, is being herded into the Red Sea, it's the Ruach of God that goes in and separates and creates salvific space in the midst of water. That becomes a virtual ark that people go in the deadly waters and this Ruach is, is keeping those waters of the deep, uh, the waters of the abyss, it says in the original back. And, and the people are safe because the Ruach is there. The Ruach is what God breathes into the dirt man to make the dirt man a living man. And it's this Ruach that God promises to bring to the spiritually dead. Ezekiel obeys. I don't know how he felt. I mean, how, how does that work? Every head bowed, every eye closed? You know, if you feel God tugging at the place your heart used to be, you just get right up and come down. Yes, I see that femur. The organ will play, come down, come, as God moves you. If you're Ezekiel, you're preaching to dead people. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work, but Ezekiel did it. Ezekiel did it, and as he began to preach the the reconstruction of these people began to happen. And I doubt that Ezekiel was saying when that happened, man, I am a great preacher. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm preaching dead people and they're coming down. No, Ezekiel is preaching and, 
and he probably felt foolish at first, and then God starts doing this work. God starts to raise the dead, but there's no Ruach there. And so God told Ezekiel, preach to the Ruach. Preach to the Ruach and say, breathe on these slain and they will live. And Ezekiel obeys and God sends the Ruach and all of a sudden this army that had rebelled against God that was under God's curse now is an army of people who want to obey God. Paul tells us in Romans that all the people who are incorporated in Christ are the whole house of Israel. I don't know if you picked it up in the reading, but God said, who are these? This is the whole house of Israel. In other words, it's us. When when we feel the life of God in us, why are we feeling that? We're feeling it for two reasons. One, faithful people in the past obeyed God and were faithful to interact with us when we weren't interacting with God. And I know my grandmother probably grieved over me for many years, but she prayed for me. She probably looked at me and said, that's as dead as dead can be. Can these bones live? Humanly speaking, no. But she obeyed. Preachers obeyed. Sunday school teachers obeyed. Vacation Bibles. Everyone obeyed doing what seemed foolish. And then God in this miraculous act, raised you and me to spiritual life. So as we close, here's some application. Who is it that you know who's just so spiritually dead they're beyond the power of God? Who is it? Like, how dry do you have to be where God can't raise somebody from the dead? Because these bones were very dry. If we serve the same God, God likes raising people from the dead. And I don't know about you, and I don't know if it's being too tied to the Word of God, but God said those offspring who are going to end up in heavenly Jerusalem are like the stars, and they're trillions of stars. How many will be enough to honor the Lord Jesus in heaven for what he did? Maybe God wants us to pray like that. Maybe God wants us to walk in our neighborhood and say, can these bones live? Lord, you know, but you, uh, millennia before I was born, you made a promise to Abraham that that's what his offspring would be like. And there are trillions of things. It's interesting, God said that no one could count 
Lots of people can count the stars with the naked eye. It's about a thousand Ptolemy. Uh, but Hubble telescope comes along and we realize, hey, there's trillions of stars. God said there were trillions. Is God prone to exaggeration or did he know? And if he knew and there are trillions of stars, could some of these people, could lots of these people be part of those trillions of stars? I don't know. But I'm going to preach. I'm going to pray. I'm going to live. I'm going to beg God to be true to his word. And I don't know about you, but I think what I'm going to hear is a rattling And I think I'm going to see God starting to reconstruct. And I'm going to see the Ruach of God. As we just close here, if that's how God saves people, how proud should we be about anything or how humble should we be? Did God save me and make me part of this army because like I was more savable than other people or did God because he's just so gracious show grace to somebody who didn't deserve grace son of Adam can these bones live I don't know but I'm alive I'm alive because you raised me and and Adam was my forefather and he committed cosmic treason he passed on that cosmic treason to me and and I ratified his choice many times Can these bones live? Yes. May God make us the kind of people to obey his word. Amen.